The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. friends, welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Thank you very much for joining the most important podcast in the universe, even when the Super Bowl is over, even when the NFL playoffs are over, even we're in the dark days of February. Since we are in the offseason, there's not too much going on in the NFL universe. So I would love to remain and still do this podcast two days a week. In order to do that, we need content to fill uh, two podcasts a week. So if you have any suggestions from what you want to hear about, I mean, I can interview prospects. I can interview fellow people that cover the draft and the college circuit and the process. Um, we'll do plenty of NFL offseason stuff with our writers. And if there's anyone specifically you want to hear from, let me know. Reach out on Twitter. Also, if you're new to this podcast, hit that subscribe button if you enjoy it. Please, please, please take a second and rate and review. It really, really does help us out. We still have plenty of content going on um, on Roto World. We did just wrap up an entire football season, and I felt the best way to do that in kind of a condensed format would be to talk about the lessons learned kind of at a macro level here with some of my best friends. Let's put it that way. Patrick Doherty, how are you? By the way, I had to pause the... Uh... Super Bowl near the end of the third quarter to help put my kids to bed. So I haven't seen the end yet. So don't spoil it for me. Maybe Jared Goff will throw a touchdown when <laughs> you go and replay it. Well, right? surely no one was completely wide open that he just missed in the back of the end zone. No, um, of course. I know not. now we're crediting that more to McCourty uh, as a good play by McCourty than a bad play by Goff. But I say no, so. not slow bad. eyes and a, and a wounded duck of <laughs> a football a thrown in this direction. Uh, okay. And Richard Rebar. Richard has been on the road a little bit. Rich, how are you? I mean, you let me on this podcast two weeks in a row. I don't know what's really gotten into you. Uh, but, you know, last week you had me on where we 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 talked about betting the under on Jared Goff's touchdown passes at plus odds, and that cashed, baby. Uh, we also cashed on Sean McVay's get-back guy, and he didn't even show up. Man, that's some money in my pocket. So that yeah, worked out. Yeah, well, what happened? He had a medical procedure. What is, is that? Uh, I feel like the bet should be just like uh, – nullified then that was actually plus five thousand that he wouldn't even show up so i mean i cashed that as well so it worked <laughs> out thanks so much guys for being here uh look these off-season podcasts aren't going to be as structured and scheduled necessarily as the ones in season hopefully you so enjoy Jared that Goff as well just do terrible on them <laughs> <laughs> all right that's the jared Goff portion of this podcast let's move forward so this one it kind of goes to a a bigger picture level in terms of just big ideas, conclusions that we can draw from the 2019 or 2018 season. Okay. 
uh, because I feel like every year football does change. I mean, sometimes it changes over five years. Sometimes it changes over 10 years. But when we do look back over just a single season, there are pieces and bits that we have picked up along the way. Pat, can I start with you of a lesson that you learned from the 2018 season? You know, the NFL is still full of Luddites. It's still full of dinosaur coaches. But I would say we are kind of slowly uh, seeing them come out of the cave, kind of like the increased, uh, I don't know what you call maddenification of the NFL, just like kind of just slowly, but surely, uh, it's always going to be slow in the NFL, but surely, I mean, we're kind of seeing smarter football. And to me, it doesn't always, smarter football doesn't always look good. You know, everything kind of, you know, is trending towards in the name of efficiency now, which we know is a smart way to play football, you know, high percentage passes, uh, not just running for the sake of running. And to me, sometimes that gets kind of boring to watch. We've seen a lot of teams kind of all but abandon the deep ball. Uh, thankfully, you know, maybe the Chiefs would be like part of a movement to kind of bring that back. Um, but, I mean, we see uh, the league-wide completion percentage was 64.9% this year. Uh, Ten years ago, it was 61%. Uh, Twenty years ago, it was 56.6%. Um, so, so just kind of seeing uh, – this, it's like, and, and it, I can't even say the word. Uh, Enigmatic? Uh, no, in, inexorable. I can't ever pronounce it. I love to write it, but I literally cannot pronounce it to save my life. Uh, <laughs> but like, we're basically seeing football gets the only way it can't get, it couldn't get any dumber. So slowly but surely it's getting smarter. Uh, focused on efficient. You know, uh, we had 19 passers over a 65% completion percentage this year. Uh, 10 years ago, it was eight. And, you know, now it's not even rare to, like, see necessarily someone clear 70% for an entire season anymore. And uh, there's still lots of still lots of bad, poorly run teams, uh, poorly run coaching staffs out there. But I think, to me, the biggest trend of the season is we're just slowly but surely seeing the march towards a Pat, smarter football. A theme of this podcast is also going to be me asking questions that probably can't be answered. So back to you. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think that we have seen some progress in areas that, you know, all so many of us have been clamoring for on Twitter for so long? Do you think it's because now, you know, these NFL owners at the top have been reading articles and maybe even tweets and being barraged by, you know, hey, these numbers actually make sense. Why not send them down the food chain and get them to work? But the same thing can be said about coaches and everyone else who's part of the decision making process. I don't know. Maybe it's just finally, I, I don't know if they're necessarily read. Maybe it's just, it's through osmosis. It's finally sinking in. You know, after seeing Tom Brady play this kind of hyper efficient, uh, you know, past 10, 15 years, uh, Andy Reed, you know, always trying to be a Drew Brees being one of the most efficient and prolific quarterbacks ever. Uh, just maybe it's finally sinking in through osmosis because I don't know if the, the owner class has gotten any smarter, uh, I think the owners almost sometimes seem as dumb as ever. You see someone like hmm. not not to be so incendiary there, but uh, still got people like Stephen Ross, like Daniel Snyder, who seem to kind of like actively hold their teams back. So I don't know if necessarily the owners are getting smarter, but at a certain point, uh, doesn't matter uh, what you were taught, what the old ways were. Like even for like these people who don't want to change, it becomes obvious what is working. And short passing, higher efficiency, again, not just running for the sake of running. It's no longer debatable. That's the, the way you want to play uh, offensive football. Rich, this is another kind of big idea. Could it just be that now compared to five years ago, now compared to especially 10 years ago, there's just more smart people that can get their ideas and their analysis out there on a 
not free market, but an open um, playing field in terms of the internet, Twitter, they can publish it and really put these ideas to paper or a website or a web page and get them in front of people. Yeah, I think th that's definitely true. The accessibility factor and, you know, Pat was, you know, doing this longer than I was and probably the, you know, the fledgling status of fantasy football Twitter and just how fast that's gone from the amount of content uh, and how content is presented, you know, that over that just that gap you know it was almost like uh you know vcrs hung around for a long time dvds came out and then instantly those were gone and you needed blu-rays that's kind of what happened to fantasy football twitter it made a jump like really fast we were debating stats versus film for one summer and now you can't you can't uh, objectively <laughs> have any type of fantasy football content now without data you know involved no matter what now uh you know and i think that just the accessibility and the, you know that these guys have to all information and you know it, just getting it out there. I definitely agree with Pat though. It is, I, it, I don't think the owners, we still have a lot of too much old, old uh, white rich money in, in the NFL uh, for yeah. to flip over. Uh, we haven't seen it. It's not like the NBA where like we're getting a lot more young money and, you know, new ideas. And we've seen the NBA make a shift that hasn't happened in the NFL yet. It's happened on the coaching level a little bit. And we saw it with the hires this off season. So maybe we'll continue to move in that direction. But I mean, you guys are spot on about everything. I mean, you look at this year, uh, there were 129 two-point attempts this year. That was the most ever in NFL history. There was only 78 last year. So, I mean, you're, we're getting a lot more, you know, turn in that, in that development. We have a lot more teams going for it, uh, you know, in situations. They didn't do it in the Super Bowl. But, uh, uh, you know, we're getting a lot more of those, you know, optimal plays, you know, playing probability out and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing the shift. It's slowly. It's not, it's not happening as fast as uh, we'd all like to. But we wouldn't have anything to tweet about if everyone did it. <laughs> And, and there's so much more information still like on the way, right? Like we're still at the genesis of next gen oh, yeah. stats. We're still at the genesis of player tracking. I mean, I, and Kevin Clark brought this up, I believe in his article on just that topic of it'll be interesting in a few years, man, if we see a team tell a player, hey, you used to run 20 miles per hour. Now you're down to 17 miles per hour. We're going to need you to take a pay cut because of it. It'll be interesting when we get there. And, and again, we're so early on with these advanced statistics in so many different ways and, and all this new information that I'm, I'm excited to see. And it's, it's going to come from, you know, not hiring necessarily NFL people in those roles, in those director of analytics roles, which we have seen, you know, across the NFL, they'll just shift someone from the front office to that area and then ask them to focus on that. In some way, they'll have to, you know, pay someone what they are worth to take that next step and take it to the next level um, rather than just relying consultants. I mean, I, I was going to, I can tie mine into Pat's actually. I'm going to spin it, it into, uh, you know, a, a fantasy, fantasy land sense here. Cause you know, we're in the off season. I'm updating all, all my big data files and getting ready, you know, for the off season. Uh, but you know, we've had two dramatically different NFL seasons now in the past two years in terms of production and scoring. I mean, 2017 was a dud in both areas while 2018, you know, historically dominant, you know, we had the most fantasy points ever scored in fantasy football this year, the most offensive touchdowns ever scored in a season happened this season. But despite those two differences in outcomes for those seasons, we have uh, one thing that's remained neutral through both. And that's a shift in what is now, you know, the modern bell cow fantasy back, you know, what it's developed into, you know, within the passing game, like Pat talked about that lower a dot, you know, it's going to up your completion percentage. We have only, we only had one running back eclipse 300 rushing attempts this year it was Zeke. He had 304. The next guy was Saquon. He had 261. 
So it's a pretty big gap. I mean, but backs are being now used more and more in the passing game than ever. They've accounted for their highest rates in terms of league-wide targets, receptions, and receiving touchdown rates in each of the past two years. Uh, and, you know, why that is important, you know, for fantasy football, because even in standard scoring formats where you don't get a point per catch, a receiving game target for a running back is worth 1.3 times that of a rushing attempt for fantasy purposes. And in PPR formats, it's worth two and a half times as much as a touch on the ground. I mean, that's just the target, too, not even a completed one, just a passing game opportunity. And what's even more vital for the way it's been is that receiving production is now going to the top of the position, too, not just these ancillary guys that used to play a role. I mean, sure, we still had James White, but you look at the top 12 running backs this season, they averaged 66.4 catches per player. They had 49 receiving touchdowns, the most ever the RB1s have ever produced. Ten of those players had at least 50 catches. Just one had fewer than 40. That was Kareem Hunt. Uh, you know, so kind of he probably would have gotten there. And then when you look at like the ratio of how they're scoring points, even in standard leagues, 36% of the RB1 scoring this year came from receiving production. It was the highest rate ever. In PPR leagues, that was 49.7. So you're talking half of the fantasy points. And you look at the over 11 seasons prior to 2017, the average, right, and even in PPR leagues, is right around 36%. So we've had a big uber jump into the way backs are used. Uh, we, we like to throw around running backs don't matter, generational spirits. We all have fun at the tweets. But in <laughs> fantasy football, running backs are still the most vital aspect of fantasy football. And you, you can get by on average wide receiver production in fantasy football. But average running back production, the gap from that to the top of the position is still so far down. That's why we still see running backs dominate, you know, fantasy football. It's the lowest hanging branch of why running backs go early, even though they have higher injury rates. Uh, and, you know, and, and they still dominate early draft capital because you can get by with average wide receiver playing fantasy football um, compared to the top scoring of the position where as running back, you can't. And the passing game involvements has been a big deal for those guys. Saquon Barkley had 91 catches this year. That was the third most for a rookie ever. Only Michael Thomas and Anquan Bolden had more catches as a rookie. Uh, you know, than Saquon Barkley. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing this shift in the NFL, and it's just been great for fantasy football. Christian McCaffrey had the most running back receptions in NFL history this year. Uh, Saquon Barkley's 91 were seventh. Uh, Jay White's 87 were tied for 14th. So, like you said, it's just kind of been a sea change in that regard. And kind of the fantasy takeaway is that some running backs matter. Uh, those running backs who matter are the ones who play all three downs. Uh, they've always been super valuable in real life, uh, clearly more valuable than ever in real life and certainly more valuable than ever in fantasy. And I, I kind of agree. So like we're seeing, so running back still mattering in fantasy, but the, the pool of running backs who matter is so much smaller than yep. it used to be. Mm-hmm. While like Reeb said, we're kind of having like almost unprecedented depth at receiver to 2017 kind of being the exception but I think you might have to change your – to me, I, I, my favorite approach last year was RB, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. I didn't think I could really mm-hmm. come away from uh, the first round, or at least the first two rounds, without a running back that I quote-unquote knew would be playing all three downs, whereas I knew you know, the receiver depth, uh, just it would be there no matter what for five or six rounds. So to me, that was my uh, – it didn't win me uh, as many leagues as I would have liked – but uh, I thought that was a smart approach last year, and it will probably certainly remain a smart approach uh, for 2019. Yeah. Pat, I legit wrote down while Reeves was talking, if your running back doesn't offer passing down ability, what does he offer, right? Yeah. I mean, th- think think about – One-way ticket to Alex Collins town. Yeah. 365 <laughs> days ago, I mean, and even just like 200 days ago, I was super hyped to draft Leonard Fournette, you know, because I was like, look, 
he can pick up like 300 carries. And we know even if he runs for like 3.5 yards in a cloud of dust, I know what I'm going to get from him. I'm, I, I do not want to invest in that type of running back ever again. And I understand like they mm-hmm. dealt with a ton of offensive line injuries and Leonard Fournette got injured as well. But think about where we are with the mindset of who Leonard Fournette was after his rookie year and then who we believe he is now. In fact, like this offseason, well, prior to it, there was talk that he might not even be on the team in 2019. I mean, it's it's a major shift in just one season. Yeah, it's like cheap touches. Uh, it used to just be touches above all else, and now it's uh, you know like touches as long as they include receptions above all else. Because you said you, I mean, those early down touches just don't go as far if you're not catching passes. Reeves, when we talk about running backs from now on, should we more so talk about yards per touch than anything else before that? Well, you still want to focus on just the the, the volume over opportunity. I, like yeah, I think you still focus on raw touches. When you're okay. yeah, when you're talking about efficiency, this is why like yards get target like it's misconstrued as like a good stat when it's really not because you're just it's it's not indicative of talent. The raw opportunity is like uh, yards per target. Antonio Brown wasn't good this year, uh, and you know obviously his talent may have really dropped off. He wasn't the number one wide receiver in the NFL. More probably was more closer to like ten through twelve. But the Steelers still valued him as a as a, a supreme talent because they were willing to jam 170 targets to him. Uh, they're still gonna they felt like they needed to get the ball to him. Uh, so that stuff still matters, you know, first and foremost, and, and that raw volume can overcome some inefficiency that might prop up when we look at some of these, you know, metrics and we determine before we really make a hard play on whether a guy's really good or not based on solely efficiency. Uh, we still want to look at that raw volume because the team is predicating getting those guys the ball. Um, if you are new to this podcast again and you're enjoying it for any moment, hit that subscribe button. And if you are subscribed, please, please, please rate and review. It really does help us out. Uh, I challenge you. I challenge you to leave us a rating and review. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I have like a list of four or five. Um, I'll, I'll just rattle off a couple just quickly. And it's just things I like picked up around the season, along the season. Um, and speaking of the Jaguars, I think it's super important to realize that a team's identity, like they they can't rely on basically a generational defense as their identity from year to year, because as we know, that kind of repeating that top level of defensive play is super difficult year over year compared to repeating that on the offensive side of the football. Best um, of luck to the Bears next year. Yeah, but at least at least they have an offensive-minded head coach who is creative and some young, talented players on that side of the football. I, I would say that Mitch Trubisky is closer to Blake Bortles in talent than he is to Tom Brady in talent. He's but... this generation's Blake Bortles. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to go that far. Generations now last two to three years, by the way. <laughs> I've talked about this a lot this season, but Trent Dilfer's point of wide receiver play is interesting in that he discussed the shift in looking from at speed wide receivers, teams wanting those, to then they wanted speed and big wide receivers, which they are just uncommon. Those are your Julio Jones, those are your AJ Greens, those are your Calvin Johnson. Oh, you and can't again, just find those guys? You can't just find them? Yeah, like <laughs> no, but, but then you take a shot on those types, right? Because then you're looking for that ideal. Like that's kind of the point of it, you know? Meanwhile, what there are hundreds of, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration are these smaller shiftier out in space type wide receivers. And with getting the ball out of a quarterback's hands quickly and then being able to create separation, sustaining it, winning after the catch, those are the type of players that, you know, grow up in, in the major prominent high schools in Florida. 
and you know, then can go on to college. It's not just your giants that are six, four and run a four, five and are able to separate and win against anyone. Um, the kind so of I players think- who generate five days of hall of fame debate too. Uh, debate being used. <laughs> Should I add to this list, Pat, that they must play quarterback in college as well? <laughs> Dual threat. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> My main one, though, is how much offensive lines matter. Offensive line continuity, offensive line health, offensive line depth. And it's not just this season, it's last season as well. But I think it comes to the forefront. Like, if you want to win a championship, the second best unit on your team on offense should be your offensive line behind your quarterback. Um, we saw it with the Patriots and the Rams. I mean, these are two teams that went deep in the playoffs, and a big part of that is because their offensive line continuity for the entire season. I know last year with the Eagles, they lost Jason Peters down the stretch, but along the other four spots, they had really quality football players. Um, same thing with the Patriots again last year. Like, you, you look back at the teams that have been most successful, and I know that's difficult to say just for playoff teams that's the case. No, but once you get there, the health and the continuity and the play of that offensive line, to me, Rich, is is just paramount. Yeah, uh, Thomas Emmerich on Twitter has done a, been doing this for a couple of years uh, and been harping on the, the offensive line continuity, that the teams that have the most you know offensive success, he ties it into fantasy um, a little bit as well, that those teams tend to have more offensive success, teams that bring back, you know, four uh, starting offensive linemen, four plus, and teams that lose, you know, have a shakeup on offensive line, tend to, you know, underperform and not do as well. So there's definitely something to that. I mean, definitely check out his feed for more stuff on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like the wide receiver thing. I think when you look at the, the way it is in the NFL now and the way NFL is played, where it's more scheme-based, more guys are on the field now than ever. That's what ties into what we talked about with wide receiver play and just being deeper than ever before. You know, basically, you know, base personnel is a sub-package now. What used to be a sub-package, now that's just base personnel. I, I look I look at these teams that are building their rosters, you know, like the Rams or like the Lions before they traded Golden Tate, you know, where you have these archetypes for specific things that you, you know, that are, are complementary. You know, you have a Brandon Cooks, a Cooper Cup, and a Robert Woods. That's a, a very complementary wide receiving core as was Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, and Kenny Galladay before they just they had to come out off of that Golden Tate uh, contract. You know, maybe the Falcons are trying to do that now with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. They might not keep, uh, you know, Muhammad Sanu in his free agent year. You know, you've got the Bucks have a, have another team that's Bruce Arians is herring a very complimentary wide receiver unit, even without Adam Humphreys. I mean, they've got Justin Watson behind there. They can move Chris Godwin to a big slot role, whether they bring back Deshaun Jackson or not. So, I mean, that's why I think that's a league offensive success comes from that, you know, not just having, uh, you know, guys, speed and space guys now, but having guys that can fill, you know, specific roles and, and allow your your entire offense to open up, you know, it makes a big difference. And and I think part of that, though, is having a great plan on offense, you know, and it's fascinating to me that even a team that I thought had zero identity on offense for much of the season and the Tennessee Titans sees their, you know, offensive coordinator get a head coaching job, not to pick on them, but it it kind of goes back to the point of there's going to be a lot of teams. I mean, teams have to lose in the NFL, right? And like what the Rams have done so well is identify exactly the traits that they want in their roles on, on at wide receiver and have hit those evaluations really out of the park. And you're right. Totally you're right that more teams should do that as well. One, one thought was uh, the word I disastrously mispronounced earlier was an, an inexorable. Um, it's very hard to say. But uh, it kind of means like inevit- the ine- inevitability that comes with time. And uh, is there a, a language of origin? 
Yeah. You said, uh, I'm sure it's some, some Latin in there. Um, you also said there was no news. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers signed a Danish kicker mm. Thursday. So don't you dare. <laughs> say Thank you. No At least they didn't have to spend a second round pick on him. Um, I also asked this question on Twitter and I got some answers. And can I just run those by you quickly? Yes. The first one, uh, this comes from Sean from Seabeck. Even with the league changing, there is still a huge amount of low-hanging fruit for coaches to exploit from football analytics. Kind of covered that one. Uh, Brandon, who his Twitter handle is at SelfAwareHomer, he says maybe Josh Allen is okay. (laughs) My Bill's Galaxy Brain take is that maybe Sean McDermott is the next great NFL coach. Really? Wow. But he could be... But the problem is he could be like one of those just like completely amazing defensive coaches that uh, can't not galaxy brain on offense. Yeah. But I have been extremely impressed with Sean McDermott. Yeah, each of the can, best can we years. talk about that topic that you just brought up just for a second? Because during this coaching hiring cycle, there was a lot of talk of, hey, you just can't hire these defensive minded coaches anymore, right? Like, I actually agree, even though I just said Sean McDermott is the next uh, GOAT. So, okay, I want you in two different voices, Pat, to argue with yourself now. Go. <laughs> I've always said, like, I, I'm going to add to this, and I, the NFL certainly agreed with me this offseason. I've always said that if I was starting an NFL team, I would not only hire an offensive-minded head coach, I would hire an offensive-minded head coach who is always going to serve as his own play caller. Yeah. Because we now, more than ever, scheme is paramount on offense – personnel is paramount on defense that's of course an oversimplification but you know problem sean mcdermott is always going to have even if he's like the next buddy ryan even if he's the next bill belichick is he defensive head coach he's always going to have people poaching away his successful offensive coordinators and that's just a huge handicap in the modern nfl and i would definitely i think some teams really desperately reached but I would definitely prioritize hiring uh, a play-calling, offensive-minded head coach. Frank, Frank JC509 on Twitter. Any system or philosophy can win. You just need the roster to do it, which has always been the hardest part. Um, and we'll close with Winty Own. Win? No. Oh, it's Win Ty Own. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, coaching matters more than I ever realized is the first. Second, fewest sacks allowed plus turnover differential plus total sacks equals a real chance at a playoff run. I also think defense kind of changed now in the NFL based on how much money you can spend at, and what's smart at certain positions, but that's for another time, I guess. And finally, he closes with Reeves. Defense still matters. Sometimes. <laughs> you need to have Frisco Josh on. Do a I should, man. <laughs> I, I really should. Is he, uh, was, did anyone create a bigger firestorm this year than Frisco Josh with the defenses? <laughs> and and I, I think I think it got blown, and I'll, maybe I should bring him on, because I think it got blown up into something he didn't even mean for it to be directed towards, you know? Like, he wasn't talking about, like, an X's and O's game plan standpoint. He was talking about it from a fantasy angle, right? Uh, yeah, he listened. It definitely went to the levels he intended it to go to. When you when you when you have the data that that specifically says uh, as a large scale, it doesn't matter, but there's nuance to playing, and you come out and, and, and just lay down the the, the 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 firewood of defense doesn't matter at all. Uh, you definitely you wanted to spark that kindling. That's true. <laughs> and look, I'm hey, props to him. You know, because look, there is no way if you say that statement in 150 words in a tweet or 150 oh, yeah. characters in a tweet, no one cares. it has, it has the same impact right. as 
three words and defense doesn't matter. SEO, right? It was a real good SEO on the on the take. I love it. Uh, you know, same thing it. with uh, you know Matt Freeman wrote that Antonio Brown article of season, and obviously I, I doubt he got to pick his own headlines, but the way they presented it was the same way. Uh, you know, if you read the article, it was you know it had nuance and had the takes, but the way it was presented was uh, Antonio Brown died. So. <laughs> that's why i write all my own headlines and i i I like to branch out with really risky headlines like week 11 rankings (laughs) uh, rankings. Uh, i i just haven't had one blow up like that yet though uh also final one for me uh the only football club i care about is aston villa and it's the only thing that keeps (laughs) my heart beating every weekend all right gentlemen thanks so much for doing this again all of you if you have off-season ideas for me be sure to tweet me or just tweet pat and rich too they'll just send it my way you know some communication never hurt anyone (laughs) um and again subscribe to this podcast rate and review it helps us out talk to y'all soon see everyone thanks guys the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.